Hello and welcome to Guy Perryman Interviews. Our travel companions today are Elizabeth Bougerol and Evan Palazzo of the Hot Sardines, who remake vintage jazz and create their own snazzy jazz, whose live shows are a swingin' good time made even more toe-tapping with a tap dancer. The conversation took place backstage at Blue Note Tokyo in December 2023 and was first broadcast across Japan on my Inter-FM radio show. Enjoy the journey. It is wonderful to welcome back on board Elizabeth and Evan, the Hot Sardines. Hello. Hello, Hello guy. Hello, guy. Thanks for having us back. Um, I, I'm so happy to have your smiling faces here backstage at Blue Note Tokyo. You must be, I presume, happy to be back here? Thrilled. It's been four years yes. since before the pandemic. And so this is actually our first international tour oh. since the pandemic. Oh, so wow. it feels good. It feels like a return to the bigger, to live performance on a bigger stage. And it's exciting. Before we go any further, Elizabeth, you've had an interesting few years too. Congratulations on becoming a mama. <laughs> yes, we added to our family with a little boy named Louis. He's named after Louis Armstrong. Oh, I love it. He arrived sort of at the tail end of the pandemic and it's just more more plates to spin. As a... <laughs> <laughs> okay, say no more. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. Well, luckily, um, see, I actually have an older son, so I oh, knew okay. what I was getting okay. into. You're getting as much as life can throw at you at any given moment and Evan can speak to that. He also <laughs> So has two little guys with oh. his wife. So, but it's been great. Listen, it's it's all part it's all part of life's rich pageant, right? So you've all had jazz babies, I guess. <laughs> all had jazz babies, exactly. But your real big jazz baby, the hot sardines. So lovely to have you back in Tokyo. I caught the show last night, and as always, just such joy watching you on stage. You all look so happy when you perform too, and you make us very happy. So. Yes, we are happy when we perform mm. because that's the key. You know, we want to bring that to the audience, how we feel about it. And mm. uh, if we're not happy performing, I, I think we have to hang it up because mm. I certainly enjoy every minute of it. Mm. When Evan and I got together and started talking, neither of us was working as a professional musician. And we really started this band because we wanted to hear this music. And I don't think we ever said this out loud, but we were kind of like, how do we hear more of this music? Well, I guess we'll start our own band. We'll hear it all the time. <laughs> <laughs> and the DNA of the band, I think, is still that, which is that, in a way, we're fans first. And um, we are so lucky to work with incredible musicians who blow us away and teach mm. us at every at every show. But the music itself, early jazz, you know, the, mm. the jazz in its, in its most traditional form, but update the way the way that these musicians we play with play it is joyful music it's welcoming it draws you in you know it 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 it, it reaches for your heart and it reaches for your you know your rhythm bone not that that's a bone um but uh, that's right there you go but uh, but it has joy in it Right. I, I love the story about how the two of you met, and I think you've told me this before, but uh, we'll put it back on the record because it's a it's a great story, and neither of you knew either of you were out there in the universe. So I guess when you met, it was very special, and you knew straight away. Well, we did. We well, we knew straight away that we were communicating musically on a level that you know it was hard to find somebody who shared our sensibilities about early jazz, and in particular. Not just the repertoire, which we immediately knew all the same songs and grew up listening to it together. And we knew that we wanted to bring this music to people and play it in a way that was um, appropriate for today, as opposed to just playing it uh, exactly the way it sounded then. And there's many great bands who 
do that much better than we could ever do. So we always wanted sort of how does this relate to modern people? And I grew up, you know, in the 70s and 80s, not to date myself, but uh, in that time, traditional jazz was was nowhere, really. And, and it wasn't very common even when we met live. And when you hear it live, you immediately get the energy, which doesn't exist as wonderful as the performers and musicians were, like Louis Armstrong and these geniuses. On the early records, there is very little bass, and it sounds very kind of canned because of the technology. But when you hear it in a live space, it's like, boom, you immediately get this energy. And I just wanted, and Elizabeth and I wanted to be in that, you know, get that. Exactly. Right, right, right. Be in it is the way to put it. Yeah, I love that. And we were immersed in it last night. And the live shows, as I said, are so much fun. The double bass is beautiful. You've got that big, full sound out there. And, of course, the highlight for everyone is the tap dancer. Again, <laughs> just love that. I mean, you must be one of the only groups that have a tap dancer, I would presume. Well, we know we're on to something because a lot of groups are throwing one in now. No. Yes, oh, we've seen it, have oh. we not? We, and we were not <laughs> the first group to have a tap dancer either. But it is. I think it is pretty rare. You know, we uh, and the, the gentleman we have with us on this tour, DeWitt Fleming Jr., is actually also drumming for yes. us. So uh, for those who haven't seen the show, he's, he's at the drum killing it at the drums and then at times he pops out from behind the drum kit and creates that same amazing rhythm with his feet and his whole body and it's you know for us it's a kind of a way of capturing the feeling of the music in the body and getting to see that there's just something that there's just something about tap that draws you in and reminds you that you feel this music in your body. And visually, I think it depicts the energy of the music for what you're hearing. It shows it. So for live performance, it's a great um, depiction of, of the whole thing for you get so to get the whole deal when you're seeing great tap dancing with good rhythm back in it. And DeWitt's amazing. Yeah, loved it. New York, New York. You formed in New York. You're, you're based in New York. How is the jazz scene? In, I mean, it's always been an amazing jazz city, but how is... How's jazz in New York in 2023, 2024? I mean, you know, what's incredible is that a lot of the, as Evan was saying, when we started playing this music, which was in the grand scheme, not that long ago, but 10 years ago now, ish. Busking, uh, we were busking. We were busking, <laughs> we were playing in the subway and stuff. And, and, and we did start playing because there was not a ton of this kind of music you could hear live. And there's been a real explosion of incredibly talented musicians coming out of the conservatories and reattacking this music from the mm-hmm. early days of jazz. So now it's really heartening to, you can hear lots of different new talents, you know, reaching back into those early days and taking those songs out and and making them live again in their own way. And playing the music you love is the key, Guy, because we had the good fortune, because just at the time we were trying to do this together, young musicians, as Elizabeth was saying, in the conservatories were starting on their own to seek out how to play in the traditional style more because the conservatories are very steeped in modern jazz and their professors are very from that feel. And it it sort of spread at the same time. So we had access to a lot of musicians who really cared about capturing the essence of that and not just playing in the modern style, which is a great style and nothing against it. But it's quite different in terms of the sensibility. You have to limit yourself and then find the freedom within the melody-based solos and, and such. 
from New York to Paris, your latest album, C'est la vie. And of course, Elizabeth, you have French background and, and heritage too. Tell us why you wanted to do an album all in French. I do. I was born in France and mostly grew up there. And when COVID hit, I wasn't able to go home, as most people, a lot of people who live far away from where they grew up, I couldn't go home. And so I was really thinking a lot about it, listening to a lot of the French music that, you know, my grandmother introduced me to, like Edith Piaf and Django Reinhardt and so on. And Evan and I had always incorporated the French side and what we always say is the, the love affair between America and France through jazz in our music. And it seemed like a good time to dig into... Uh, a little more of that music. So the, the, the album has some songs in French, some songs in English, but that were originally written in French, like La Vie en Rose, everyone's, you know, the one everyone associates with Edith Piaf, and a bunch of originals that Evan and I wrote um, in English and in French. And it was a great project to work on when everyone was at home because we recorded it remotely. Oh, yes, it was a pandemic. We had, you, we, no, we had to find the happiness and the goodness remotely. We couldn't get and, in the studio. Uh, yeah. Couldn't get in the studio yeah, with yeah, people. Yeah. yeah. Some of our players were over here in Asia, in fact, at the time and recorded their part. And mm -hmm. we hope we found a way to make it sound as though we were all together. And a lot of <laughs> yes. us have, had all played together so much mm -hmm. that I think it was a little, little more natural to get that remotely. Mm -hmm. And Say La Vie is, you know, the reason I wrote that song is because during the pandemic, c'est la vie, right, means that's life. It's just a kind of a way of surrendering to your circumstances in a way. And I felt like that was appropriate for the pandemic because, you know, no one knew what was going to happen tomorrow, next week, next month. And that is a very French way of thinking, mm. right, is mm. very like, well, what shall we do, you know? <laughs> um, and uh, so it seemed the right time to, to do something like that. It was a lot of fun mm. uh, to make a more listening album when we're usually, you know, we were a very live performance-oriented right, right, right. band. But the album was really for the time, like everyone kind of staying home and mm. listening mm. to more kind of cozy sounds. Yeah, it's very intimate and kind yeah. of laid back, I thought. Yeah. yeah, yeah, that was definitely by design. Definitely, yeah. Okay. Do you think differently? How, what's it like singing and writing in French compared to English? Is it a different animal? It kind of is, actually. Um, there are a lot fewer words in French. This is actually oh. a... a I, I, it, English has exponentially more words than French, hilariously. So to get the same point across, it's a little harder. And then um, singing in French is, is funny because it it just makes your it makes your mouth shaped differently. <laughs> <laughs> But I also think it's a very mellifluous language, so it lends itself to it lends itself to music. Mm, yeah, it's got the melody. In it does. Yeah. Looking forward to 2024, Alan Cumming again is going to be joining wow. on, yes, on the stage right. at Carnegie Hall. Carnegie is this right? Hall, baby. Wow. We are thrilled. We, um, we actually did a show in Bryant Park in New York City that the Carnegie Hall organization puts on, a big free outdoor concert for the city in the summer. And after the show, um, the presenter approached me and, and said, would you guys be interested perhaps in doing something at Carnegie Hall? Now, when someone says that to you, what, what do you say, guy? Do you say, not yeah. really, no, that's a little bit beneath us. Uh, no, quite yeah, the opposite. And uh, yeah, it's happening in April. Mm. And, and it's going to be in the context of the Weimar Festival that oh. Carnegie Hall is putting on. Oh, wow. So uh, there are a 
lot of fantastic artists like Uta Lemper and um, Meow Meow who are going to be joining and digging into different aspects of how the world was changing through music at the time mm-hmm. that the Weimar Republic was was afoot. So we are... Uh, going to be playing music that represents the American jazz that Europe was embracing at the time and that was striking fear in the hearts in Germany. We're going to be playing some French music because of all of the influence of people who were playing jazz in France and throughout Europe at the time, but we're doing it in French. And then Alan is going to be joining us to do an, uh, a few numbers. And, you know, he is such a perfect fit for this because he, so many people associate him with the reprise of Cabaret, mm. the revival of Cabaret, which I saw and it blew my mind. It's a natural fit and mm. we were very excited. He's so mischievous and fun <laughs> <Yes>. to work <laughs> with. <laughs> How did it first come together when you did the song together, uh, When I Get Low, I Get High? How did that all come about? Our representatives reached out to him and as it turned out, he was a fan of the he band. He said yes. And he said yes. We were a little bit shocked. <laughs> <laughs> and he's, he, I mean, I don't know the man, but when I've seen anything with him on television, he looks like such a sweetie. He's oh, yeah. absolutely a sweetie. He's the most, uh, you know, wonderfully down to earth, right? Yes, he's what you see is what you get. Yeah, I mean, he's yeah. mischievous and fun and mm-hmm. kind. Brilliant, and though. Very he's generous. Brilliant. He's generous. Yeah. He doesn't. You know, he's not out there just to take. And mm-hmm. that's, you know, he, don't, he, he would ask me in that recording session, so how do you want this to sound? Yeah. <laughs> like, he's a generous performer, too. He right. wants, yeah. he, he just wants to create, and this is, I think, why we get along. Mm-hmm. He wants to create the party on stage mm-hmm. in everything right. he does. Mm-hmm. And that's really where we come from, too, as, a, yes. as a, the DNA of what we're trying to do. I also love the fact you're keeping the, the good side of the 1930s in Berlin and Germany alive. How brilliant is that? Well, it was a very special time, and people don't all know um, about it because of what came after, unfortunately, um, the rise of Nazism. But in the 20s and early 30s during the Weimar Republic, a short stint of democracy, it attracted a very bohemian and artistically free lifestyle and exploration of all kinds of aspects of life. Uh, People's uh, sensibilities were broad-minded and and open and anything sort of goes. And in that environment, a lot of really good creativity. And, you know, they did play mostly American jazz and translate it into German, which is interesting. But there was also the sadness of the ethnic situation in Europe at the time. I think you can hear in the music. And the show Cabaret touches on it in a way that certainly captures it. We're hoping that we can go a little more toward the, I want to call it the expressive side of the artists that sort of had the sadness and were like really rebelling to say, well, I'm, I'm going to be free. I'm going to do the things that make me happy and make everybody around us celebrate life in some of the most difficult times because the Great Depression was on globally in Germany. It was probably the worst in many of many countries, mm. the old proverbial wheelbarrow of money to get a loaf of bread as you know yes so yeah so i think it we're, we're hoping to throw our hat in the ring on this big subject of weimar and see what we can do brilliant i always speak with people about the power of music and it also makes me think about the power of art and the arts and how important they are in our life have, have the two of you always turned to creativity to get you through difficult times in life yes absolutely uh, I mean, I before we met, uh, you know, playing music was for myself, you know, a great form of therapy. Mm-hmm. And to sit down and just 
focus on the music and express the music is, I think, one of the best therapies. I tell people, you know, who say, I, I know I play a little piano or I say, oh, it's great. Keep doing that. You know, you don't have to be a professional to get exactly what I get out of it. And so many other people do. It really does calm the psyche and put things in perspective. Without question. And I think, you know, especially writing more, as I have been writing more songs, I've realized that sometimes I don't know what I'm thinking or feeling until I write a song about it. Oh. And it, it helps. I mean, it's, it's therapy. Absolutely. It's, it's the cheapest form of therapy. I think you just said that. <laughs> yeah. um, and even better, you could make some money out of it. <laughs> I mean, don't tell them because we're shocked. <laughs> but, uh, and then playing it, honestly, you know, this is for me, it, it is, it sounds not corny, but it sounds like an exaggeration to say it, but it is spiritual for me playing this music. It is the very definition of communion mm. to be on a stage with, you know, six or seven other people making something up together and connecting and music is it is about connection and i think that is why it is for me the most powerful of the arts because it cuts across language it cuts across you know political spectrum it cuts across all of it and what you're doing is you're communicating with each other on stage as musicians and that communication extends to the audience that connection mm. extends to the audience mm. and you feel that mm. i read in your website is there going to be a fats waller show there is <laughs> oh, oh, good. <laughs> I say that because we are creating one and we are very excited to get it out there because Fats Waller is a wonderful, fantastic artist and very influential in jazz and in all of music, especially 20th century music. And I'm not sure how many people are aware of that. And, and, and as you listen to even modern pop music, his influences it's tucked in there mm. and so bringing his amazing virtuosity and his big personality and his entertainment skills to modern audiences i think would be uh, a dream come true because uh, there was this fabulous show ain't misbehaving based on his most famous song that certainly did amazing work at presenting his music i think we want to dig a little deeper into the man who was presented sort of as a constantly happy and constantly up type person and doing our research and knowing about his life. It's not the case. He was doing therapy, just like we mentioned before, and dealing with the obstacles that he faced as a black man in the early 20th century and never being down, never being pessimistic, always kind of Everyone relied on him to be the, to be the, to be yeah. the joy in the room, to be, to bring the sunshine. And there's a lot of, there's a lot of pressure to that. Yeah. There's a, it's, there's but he was, in it. yeah, and he, he was a master and a maestro and could play anything. I mean, he was a, a one of the best Bach interpreters, oh. which people don't realize, especially on the organ. Mm. His father was a minister. And so we, we want to go into that and sort of connect how this came about and then show how it, it sort of still exists and and how he really influenced. When he died, uh, close to a million people showed up to his funeral on the mm. streets of Harlem. He was more pop famous than Louis Armstrong at mm. the time, and sort of like a Michael Jackson of, of his time, in mm. the sense of he was world famous. All of that, but at the same time, in the context of the, the joy that he brought in the music. So we'll be digging into some of the more gray areas of his life that you don't hear about much, but also 
really celebrating his music, celebrating some of his lesser known songs mm. and highlighting some of the up and coming talent who are who we've gotten a chance to work with mm-hmm. uh, and casting them in this show. Yeah, you can't wait. So on the stage on Broadway one day. Yeah. One day, yes. <laughs> All right. With your help, guy. Yes, absolutely. Yes. We'll bring it to Japan too. Absolutely. Speaking of which, we're backstage at Blue Note Tokyo and I know you've both been to Tokyo a few times. Is there something about Japan that you love, that you'd love to share with the world that maybe they don't so know about? So much, so much. Where to begin? Where to begin? I mean, I'm a, I'm a Japanophile now, oh. I think. Is, is that a word? I, yes. I think so. And I love the people, the, everything, the food, the music, and, and the little details of life that mm. are so beautifully worked out in this culture. Uh, you feel very humble to be here because everybody is, is working as a team, walking down the street, considering everybody else around them. And it makes for a very good environment to make art as a result. Love that. Such a good way to put it. I'm also a Japanophile. I just so appreciate the time and effort put into the small details because we spend a lot of time considering small details in our songs and planting little Easter eggs that we hope people will find and so on. (laughs) And so I really appreciate the care and beauty and just craftsmanship of everyday things. Mm. I think it's, I think it reveals a real, the level that, that people expect of themselves and it makes for a beautiful experience. And yes, the food. I ate so much at my hotel breakfast buffet this <laughs> morning and I was just texting pictures of the photos, <laughs> pictures of the food to my husband and he was like, stop it. I mean, I'm eating meatballs. Like this is not fair. Um, oh, it's exquisite. We're going on the road and you've got a passport, a credit card and a mobile device if you need any of those three things. But what else, apart from your loved ones in life, uh, what, what, what else do you really need in your life? Tons and tons of money. <laughs> you, well, you've, no, you've got a credit card. You, you've got a limitless credit card there. That's right. So, yeah. I should use that more often. Yeah, yeah. I, should, I should be more free with it, I think. You can have something else then. <laughs> no, I'm one of those people, like, I, I feel I've, I've been given more than I deserve already, but I, I would want more. I would want more friends. I would want more love in my life. But I have all those things, so I feel a little guilty saying so. I think you said apart from loved ones, right? Yeah, you can't take your loved ones. They're, 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 they're going with you anyway, Correct. so you can Correct. take something else with you. Yes, take something else with me. Um, gosh, honestly, a very good pillow. Oh. Yes. <laughs> yes. Do you have a travel pillow? Uh, I don't have a travel pillow because it's so bulky, but, you know, traveling through a lot of hotels... <laughs> you encounter a lot of different pillows, guy. <laughs> a lot of different pillows, and I'm, oh, I'm a fan yeah. of a I'm a fan of a of a of a nice semi firm down pillow okay. with possibly a crisp percale or linen pillowcase. And okay. I get home from tour and I hit my own bed with oh. my and I'm just I'm very very happy. <laughs> Noted. Good. And finally, apart from your loved ones again, travel companion. Who would you love to sit down with? Anyone from history or anyone alive today? Who would you love to sit down with and have a conversation with? Cole Porter. Oh. Cole Porter, my favorite composer, um, because I think that I would want to ask him a lot of questions about the structure of his songs, which are, I think are magnificent pieces of musical architecture. And also just talk to him about what it was like being Cole Porter at the time and writing songs about love that hit the mainstream and were embraced so much when he himself was, you know, a, a gay man in a time when it was not 
and when it was not accepted and how that found its way into his songs. Uh, I would love to. And I think he would be a good time to hang with. Oh, yeah. I think we could have some martinis. <laughs> I think I saw a couple last night, actually. <laughs> yes. yes, you did. You did. Upstairs. They're yes, made yes, good ones. Indeed. <laughs> Oh, gosh. Well, I would have to say we talked about Fats Waller, but I, I would pick Louis Armstrong. I would want to be I would love to be around that man as much as possible. He's a mystery to me because on the one hand, he seems like a simple fellow that's just into music. But for, he was one of the most complex geniuses who really self-educated his way beyond a doctoral thesis on many subjects from medicine to literature to, I mean, uh, of course, music. So he would be my choice. Great. Well, I've had a wonderful time hanging out with the two of you. The conversation today has has put a smile on my face. As always, Evan and Elizabeth, thank you so much. Thank you for the music. Thank you for the live show. Thank you for the conversation. Oh, thank you so much. It's been lots of fun hanging out with you again, Guy. Guy, thank you. It's a pleasure as always. And thank you for joining us today. For more interviews and information, please go to guyperryman.com. 